So we're coming towards the end of our God at Work series. Next week, Brother Mark Hodges is going to end it. But I want to end my part of it this week by talking about this really great thing that God has given us that brings a lot of hardships, but also a lot of joy and meaning. And I want to talk about when we come to the end of our work. And today, since this is something that's really, really hard for Americans to get, I'm going to try to leverage all the persuasive skills I have because this has been something that has changed my life, sincerely. In fact, I can think of two or three decisions that have shaped my life, and this is one of them. So about 15 years ago, I was 28, Leslie and I didn't really have kids yet, and I was burning out. <laughs> Looking back, five kids and 15 years later, I'm like, oh, young Jonathan. <laughs> but part of it is because the calling I have is uh, it's never off. You're never really off in ministry because somebody's always in the hospital. There's always a marriage that's in crisis. There's always you know, something going on. And because you care for people, you're never... Like Anyway, I was burning out, and it was not good for my marriage, our marriage. It was not good for uh, the long-term being able to do this, calling for years and years to come. And so, Leslie and I made a decision, and we've stuck with it for the last 15 years. On Thursday nights, because Friday is our off day, on Thursday night, I turn off my phone. And for a decade, my kids hid it. Uh, we stopped that practice because they started forgetting where they hit it. But, and there, there, it was a thing where, like, you know, life is complicated, so you can't just, you know, go into a cave somewhere. But when we spend time with people, we wouldn't talk about, you know, we talk about life, but we wouldn't talk about church stuff. If it could be talked about on Saturday, we would talk about it on Saturday. But this was a day, Friday became a day for Legos and dancing and playing music and watching movies and reading and laughing and worship and all those things I just mentioned, if they're done with the attention towards God, is a form of worship. And it is no exaggeration to say our entire family's life is oriented around this day. Some of y'all know that we homeschool. And the reason that we homeschool is because I have this strange job where Sunday is not an off day like it is for most of you. Friday is an off day. So, in fact, my very first sermon to preach here as the preacher at PV, I brought this up. And I told you, my phone is turned off on Friday. I've spent every Saturday morning for the last 15 years responding to texts with, sorry, my phone was turned off yesterday for family day. And I used a word to describe why we did it in my very first sermon here. And it's a word that's in your Bible, but it's often misunderstood or misused. And that word is Sabbath. Now, when I was growing up in church, most of the time I heard people talk about Sabbath, it was why we no longer need to keep it. But the truth is, Sabbath is not something you keep. Sabbath is something that keeps you. So in America, to say it another way, in America, people live for the weekend, but followers of Jesus are called to live from the weekend. And by the way, this is not like something to be legalistic about. That was one thing Jesus was really clear on. So you don't have to do it on Saturday, obviously. I, my family does it on Friday. But you need to do this. If you want to take Jesus seriously, and if you want joy, and I mean, if you, if you want the best possible kind of life, you need to do this. And you don't have to be legalistic about it, but I would like you to be rigid about it. So I want to try to convince you, because I know 
This is a hard sell for a lot of people. I know your job's really important. I know people really need you. Sincerely, I know that. And yet, this is who Jesus was. Because Sabbath is not a day. (laughs) It is a person. There's a theologian, Dallas Willard, who I really like. and, And somebody asked him once to define Jesus, describe Jesus in one word. And I'm like, who would ask that question? But Dallas thought about it for a little bit, and then he came back and he said, relaxed. And I really like that. I mean, how many of us following Jesus would consider that to be one of the defining characteristics of us? Jesus was never in a hurry. He never looked past someone. He never saw people like projects or interruptions. He saw people well, and because of that, people flocked to him. There was no one like him. And I know your job's important, and I know it's really meaningful, but listen... In three and a half years of ministry, Jesus, who kept Sabbath, changed the world unlike anybody else in human history, and the second is not even close. So there's a, a back in the 1980s, there was a man named Kamai Shuji, who was a Japanese uh, business prodigy. He graduated from college, he started working as a uh, at a brokerage firm, and because he was new, they gave him the external sales account, which is the hardest to do in brokerage firms. Um, so he had to cold call clients, potential clients, and he was supposed to work from 8.50 in the morning to 5 o'clock at night, but because he couldn't get enough leads generated by that, he started working from 6 in the morning to 10 at night, seven days a week. He, was, he had mental fortitude, physical stamina. He becomes a rising star in the circle of Japanese stock brokers. Success was his vision, performance was his life, and he made it. He actually was so good, he was brought into this like inner circle of of Japanese corporate warriors, they called it, and he was honored in their magazines. Young traders idolized him. They wanted to be like him. He regularly worked 90 hour plus weeks, seven days a week, and he was crushing it. And then at a corporate weekend resort that they were doing a training thing for, he died. He heart, had a heart attack and he died. And he was 26 years old. And this happens enough in the Japanese business culture that there's actually a term for it. They have a word and it means death by overwork. And that's easy to see when we see it in another culture. But do you know that America, as far as developed countries in the world, we work longer hours, have shorter vacations, get less in unemployment, disability, retirement benefits, and retire later than people in comparably developed societies. Now, this may sound strange, but just a couple of years ago, I found this in, on, in the Entrepreneur Magazine, and this is real advice, okay? It's written to men, husbands, who are also business people. And this is what the um, advice is. As far as birthdays and anniversaries, you should actually make, absolutely make note of them, but not by taking long visits to the country with your spouse or going off on weekend getaways. That's what jewelry is for. Or treat everybody to a steak dinner. It takes less time so you can get on with running your business. If you are not focused, if family, friends, and loved ones fill up your busy weekly schedule, you are probably failing to deliver real profits for your company. Love your business more than your family. It's not an easy or popular attitude to adopt. Often you will feel tremendous pressure by those monsters. 
to take time away from your business and devote to family matters. But in the end, the best thing you can do for them is to create the legacy of a business that is thriving and financially sound. When you're retired, wealthy, and able to spend Valentine's Day and other special occasions with your kids and grandkids at your winter home in Hilton Head, you'll be glad you devoted so much time to your first love, your business. (laughs) That's right. Boo is right. And listen, that's stark advice, but at least somebody said it. And here's the thing, you probably don't believe that, or maybe part of you does, but you probably work for somebody who does, or you probably work with people who do, because this is in the air. And this is the default of most of our work. By the way, it's the forgivable sin in American Christianity. Nobody gets fired for working too much. No one in church goes and gets prayers because I'm a workaholic. In fact, when you come to church, uh, and I hope this is not this church, I think it's gotten a lot better at this, but for the longest time in churches, especially in the Bible Belt, the only two acceptable answers for how you were doing outside of good, you know, fine and busy. And nobody ever follows up with the busy, right? Like, well, hold on. Because Jesus never described himself as busy. Jesus was never like, hey, Samaritan woman, I'm sorry, I've got a schedule to keep. No, he didn't. And we may think, when we hear somebody you know, respond to us, another follower of Jesus respond to us, like, I'm so busy, we think that means they're doing great. When we say it, we think it means we're doing great. It may mean our soul is in danger. So every week we talk about following Jesus here. But did you know you can't follow someone that you're running ahead of? Jesus walked everywhere he went. Human beings can only walk about three miles an hour. We don't move at that speed. Jesus moved at the speed of love. There is no way to follow Jesus if you're speeding ahead of him. And it's only getting busier. Do you know in 1879, before Thomas Edison invented the light bulb, do you know that the average person in America slept? Any guesses how many hours a night? Nine hours? Higher. Eleven hours. But can you imagine? Can you imagine? Okay, so this week was Prime Day on Amazon. And by the way, just to remind you, uh, Prime Day began as a pagan holiday, okay? So, but let me tell you what happened this week. This week, a lot of you bought time-saving devices, right? You got a new Alexa or whatever. And back in the 60s and 70s, when that was first becoming a thing, all these time-saving devices, do you know what Americans, like the elite thinkers in America, were concerned about? Futurists all over the world in 1960, from sci-fi writers to political theorists, said the biggest problem we were facing in the decades to come was, get this, too much leisure time. For real. Um, In fact, there was a a Senate subcommittee where some really well-informed good-thinking people said that in, uh, by the year 1985, the average American would only work 22 hours a week, 27 weeks a year. Like, where did that go? Right? And the exact opposite has gone, has actually happened. Over the last, um, since 1979, the average American person works four hours more a week than before. In fact, my parents, who are both in their 80s, um, you're welcome, Mom. Who's closer to 90? Well, anyway, so my parents remember a time in the state of Arkansas 
when the entire state on Sundays shut down, except for churches. And I get that the world is becoming, or our, our area of the world is becoming more post-Christian, which isn't non-Christian. It means it's kind of reacting to Christian things. But as we um, invite all this other stuff in our life, there's a consequence. And there's a reason that those laws, blue laws, that shut down on Sundays and some on Saturday happened. Why? Because of this. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. After God makes the earth, this is the end of God's work. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing, and so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Last few weeks, we've talked about how Genesis 1 and 2 are unlike all the other creation narratives. It breathes dignity and meaning into man and woman's work. That God didn't make us um, as slaves to do the things that He didn't want to do. That God made us to come alongside Him and work with Him, to partner with Him. But I want you to remember this. This is the seventh day. On what day were Adam and Eve made? Sixth day. Which means the first thing Adam and Eve do is they didn't do anything. They are created into the rest of God. And of all the things God made, Sabbath is the only thing that He called holy. It's where we get holies, where we get the word holiday. Because God knows that the way we spend our days, for good or ill, will shape our life. There's actually a little book called A Brief History of Sundays by Gustavo Gonzalez. And he's this kind of Latin American theologian. And he talks about, do you know why we have a weekend? You do, you, you do know. Like the reason we had yesterday off and today off is because of the Jewish Christian faith, right? The God of the Bible is literally the God of the weekend. It's because of that story we just read and later God raising Jesus from the dead that Saturday and Sunday are set apart as a different kind of time. And how you live your life, how you view your time changes how you live your life. Because God raised Jesus from the dead, you get to go home and take a nap today. Because God rested on the seventh day, you got to spend time at home with your family and friends yesterday. This is a different way of being in the world that comes from a different way of thinking about our work and who we work for and why we work. I've told you the last few weeks, the most stunning thing about Genesis 1 and 2 is when you compare it to the other ancient creation stories, right? Like it's not, it, there's some similarities, but where it's distinct is just stunning. So the original audience of Genesis was Moses talking to the Israelite elders, these people who have, you know, for 400 years they were in slavery. Moses had gathered them up around the foot of Mount Sinai and they've grown up hearing the stories of the Egyptian creation. Right? That there's a, a moon god and a sun god and a god of livestock and, and that there's a god who made all these other... who made people just to be slaves. And yeah, there are a few people that are made in God's image, but they're the people who are over the slaves and they're not very many. They're the kings and the pharaohs. And, and Moses, when he tells them the story, think about the temptation. You know what he could have done? He could have said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God made a few people in His image and a lot of people as slaves, but the Egyptians got it wrong. It wasn't the Israelites that were supposed to be slaves, it was the Canaanites. 
And we're the ones made in the image of God. So let's rule over them. He could have done that. But he didn't. Instead, he said, this is a God who made every human being not as a slave, but as an image bearer to work with him. In other words, Moses says to the Israelites, and if you can hear it today to you, God never made a slave. Instead, God made partners. A God who works and makes us to work with Him, but in this good world that He made and loved. And to that end, the Israelite people started practicing Sabbath. Here's what they would do. In Deuteronomy 5, the way it's described, observe the Sabbath by keeping it holy. This is a different kind of way of thinking about your schedule. As the Lord your God has commanded you. Now what do you do on this Sabbath day? Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. And that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you, not suggested, commanded that you keep the Sabbath day. The Sabbath was a time to give them space to uh, reflect on their salvation. The Lord brought you out. Listen, what did the Israelites do to get out of Egypt? How much did they contribute to that? Did God tell Moses to tell them, listen, you need to go make the Nile River blood? Just go pour some Kool-Aid mix in there or something. You, you got to you know, make them afraid of their livestock. Go over and push their cows down. No, that's not plagues. That's pranks. That's called cow tipping. What God did, God did on His own. God saved them. And every week they're reminding themselves, you know what? We're not slaves. We are sons and daughters. And, and that's what they do. They would, they would remember God's salvation and they would also remember their identity. You were a slave. Now you're a son. You were under the cruel reign of Pharaoh. Now you're under the tender care of your father. And of course you can trust him to provide for you. Because God doesn't make us to work first. Instead, we are made to rest and then work because we are not slaves. Okay. Nobody in your workplace or in your culture is going to say you're a slave. But they will get you to bind yourself to the most elegant forms of slavery. Come on, search your heart. You know this is true. We are exhausted. We are disconnected and lonely. We have all kinds of medicine. But we are by no means well. But Christianity says we are made in the image of God. And also, what's this? We are made from dust and to dust we will return. In other words, right in the beginning of our origin story is all this potential and all these limitations. And those things have to go together. Because one of the key tasks of apprenticing Jesus or following Jesus is living into both your potential and your limitation. Right now, and this is one of the ways our world gets us into slavery, is it talks a lot about your potential. You know that guy who died by death by overwork? He had so much potential. But a human being can only do certain things. And you can't do everything. We live in a culture, like to embrace your limitations is counterculture because we live in a culture that wants to transgress all limitations, not accept them. We like to cheat time and space, to be like God, to watch every new film, listen to every podcast, read every new book, go to every new concert. Last, two weeks ago, uh, Hanson was in Magic Springs and our family really wanted to go um, hear them, but it was on Saturday night. They were in concert on Saturday night and I got to do this on Sunday morning. So I was like, well, 
Okay, so we go and we're thinking we're just going to be there for an hour or so. We wait for two hours and those jokers still hadn't sung Mbop. I didn't know they had another song besides Mbop. I thought they were just going to stand up and sing Mbop over and over again. And ultimately we had to leave without hearing it. We, okay, so here's how it comes to you in your daily life. You feel pressure. I feel pressure to take every road trip, travel to every country, eat at every new restaurant, befriend every person, fix every problem in society, rise to the top of every field, win every award. Because, come on, you only live once. you got a fear of missing out. But we have these limitations. And these limitations include, but are not, you know, limited to, your body is one. You live in a time and place where the internet or your smartphone or whatever can trick you into thinking you're everywhere. But show me a person who's everywhere and I'll show you someone who's not very good at being anywhere. Our bodies are a limitation given by God. Our minds, we can't know everything. In the words of Paul, one of the most influential people in history, for now we know in part. Nobody's an encyclopedia. We all miss things. And there's a real humility that comes with embracing that limitation. Or our giftings. How about this? What God has given you, He hasn't given me. And one way of responding to that is just realize I'm a created being. And God in His sovereign grace has decided to give certain people gifts that I don't have. And if I don't accept that limitation, then I'm going to become really jealous. Because comparison is an enemy of joy. Our personalities are a limitation. Our families of origin are a limitation. Um, yeah. So, I'm <laughs> just kidding. I pointed at my parents if you didn't get to see that. None of us start with a blank slate. Our socioeconomic situation, our education. Family is a limitation. Leslie and I have thought about renaming our kids. Limitation one, limitation two, limitation three. And they're great, but they cost, right? This is true of any relationship, but it's definitely true if you're a parent. It takes an enormous time, uh, amount of time, energy, attention. It's not bad. It's wonderful, and it gives you way more joy, but it's a limitation. One that's, you know, a couple decades long. And limitations aren't bad. They are where you find God's will for your life. If you allow them to be what they are. In, in the words of Anne Lamont, no is a complete sentence. And it's probably a sentence that we should get better at using. Because you ever catch yourself with this nagging suspicion, and maybe you wouldn't say it out loud, but I bet it's in most of us. This nagging suspicion that we'll wake up on our deathbed, and somehow in all the hurry and all the busyness, we miss the most important things. You successfully started a business and ended a marriage. You got your kids to their dream colleges, but you never taught them the way of Jesus. You made a lot of money, but you never got rich in the things that matter most, which ironically were never things at all. You watched all 15 seasons of whatever, and you never learned how to love prayer. We live in a world that wants us to be slaves to our own ambition or to market forces, but God never made a slave. And the antidote for slavery is Sabbath. Laura and I have a mutual friend, uh, A.J. Swoboda, who is a pastor in Portland. And he he wrote a great book, but he's just a great guy. And Sabbath is really big for him. And he says, Sabbath is a scheduled weekly reminder that we are not what we do. Instead, we are who we are loved by. 
It's a gospel reminder that we do not have to get to, a, to work to be accepted. Rather, we rest and, breathe and enjoy God. Um, in the 24-hour period of a Sabbath, let me tell you how it felt. The first time I did it, 15 years ago, for the first, I don't know, four or five weeks, every time I was going to turn on my phone, you don't have to turn off your phone, although I do highly recommend it. Um, the first, when I was turning off my phone, it'd be like 9 o'clock at night on a Thursday, and I'd turn off my phone, and let me tell you what happened. My anxiety level went so high up, because what if there's a preacher-related emergency? Seriously, I was like, what if somebody dies? What if somebody gets sick? I'm like, well, that always happens. Um, I'm not God. I have these limitations. And I think you would like me to show up if you are going through something healthy and not resenting you for going through it. Anyway, I feel a lot of anxiety about it and kind of press through. And within a couple of months of doing that, whenever I would turn off my phone, instead of anxiety, there would be kind of a sense of peace that just falls on me and our house. I don't know a better way to describe it, and this is, this is going to sound weird, especially if you've never done it. It's like you're walking into Narnia. It really is. It's like a portal to another world. It's your home, it's your family, but it's different. It's so incredible. And, and this is the way A.J. Swoboda says it. When we, when we do this, we step out of the way of the world and into the way of eternity. We step into the space of the spirit of life of, of God. We step out of the secular, of the prince of this age. Sabbath is a portal to God's presence because Sabbath is not just a day. It is a person. Let me describe in the letter to Hebrews, the Christians in Hebrews, who are really struggling with their faith, a lot of them are thinking about walking away from Christianity. Um, the author of Hebrews says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God said, so I declared on an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And he quotes Genesis 2. On the seventh day God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above he says, They shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience. So... He's writing to people who have a choice, just like I'm talking to people today. And his choice is, the thing that seems to be the most pressing thing for him is, enter into the rest of God. Now, the irony of this is, you'd think he'd tell people who are struggling with their faith to just double down on it, work harder, muster up that belief or whatever. Instead, he says, this is really what you got to do. you got to rest. Here's the lesson. The source of the amount of your strength is equal to the quality of your rest. And those who are mature in their faith are not necessarily those who work the hardest for Jesus. It is those who rest the best in Jesus. There is more to our overwork than just making money. And this is the part where we have to start getting really honest with ourselves. Work for a lot of us is a source of our identity. There's a reason why the second question you ask after what's your name is what will you do? 
And, and because people judge us because of that, because we're trying to be better than other people or at least not worse than other people on this, there's a reason we talk about this the way we do. There's a reason we come up with job titles or fight over job titles, right? You know, I'm not the assistant regional man. I'm not the assistant to the regional manager. I'm the assistant regional manager. There's a reason we're like this. So back to Hebrews. Hebrews is saying, this is so good, y'all, that Sabbath is a shadow pointing to something. And as you dig into Hebrews, you start to realize, oh, Sabbath is a shadow and Jesus is the shadow maker. All of our lives, Jesus is the ultimate rest. All of our lives, we are, uh, we're, we're, we're trying to justify ourselves. Self-justification. This is not just religious things that people do. I know, you know, it happens in religious circles like self-righteousness or trying to Jesus-juke other people or compete religiously, which is, you know, really silly when you think of the, what the Christian faith actually is. But this is not a religious problem. It's a human problem. It's why we approach work the way we do. We're trying to justify our very existence to show we're important, ultimately to cover up our sense that we're not that important. Just like Adam and Eve, we're clothing ourselves. And the gospel, the story of what God does for us, is it reverses that. He restores us to love and acceptance, the thing that we've all craved since creation. In fact, as you start your Sabbath, a good thing you could do is pray this prayer as you're beginning it. In Christ, there is nothing I can do to make God love me more. There is nothing I have done that will make God love me less. And this is the way Hebrews says it. Whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. his. That doesn't mean Christians don't work hard, don't provide for themselves or serve Jesus fervently. It means we're no longer working to justify ourselves doing it. We're not trying to earn our place before God. This has been a gift from God. It really is that we, we don't rest from work. We work from rest. And not just physical rest, but the soul kind of rest. The rest of our ambition, of our tower building, of our ladder climbing pride. And so today, can I ask you, as we come to the end of this series, can I ask you to trust two things? History and Jesus. I know this may sound far-fetched, but historically speaking, you do know you live in a world that Christians have done this. And yet they've... I mean, you've heard of the Protestant work ethic, right? Have you heard of the Catholic project before that? The most influential people in Western civilization, God has changed the world through the work of His people. But before God works through us, He wants to work in us because He doesn't want anybody working like slaves. He's not Pharaoh. He wants us working as partners and dearly loved children. So, this week, can you start this? I know it's kind of bold to say, hey, can you rearrange your schedule right now based on a 30-minute... I get that. This is not a 30-minute sermon. This is thousands of years of the people of God doing this. Don't let another week go by that you don't take a day off and rest and play and celebrate that your identity does not come from your ability to crush it in the office. Embrace your human limitations and let God be God. Because Jesus says, man was not made for Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man. God did not make a bunch of rules and then be like, oh, I've got to create some be- people to keep these rules. God made us in His image and because He knows us better than we know ourselves, He said, this is a gift I want to give them. 
It is not meant to beat you down. It is meant to bless you. If you're married this week, sit down with your spouse and ask, how do we do this? If you're single, get some of your friends together and figure out how do we do this together? Because come on, this may be the only question you need to hear today. Do you really want to be in such a hurry to become someone you don't even want to be? Ray Romano, the popular stand-up comedian who was in Everybody Loves Raymond, that show actually ended well before its time. It ran for 10 years. It was super popular with the audience and the network. It could have gone for another decade. But Ray Romano ended it. And on the last episode, when they finished filming the last episode, he stepped out and told the studio audience... Ten years ago, when I was first moving from New York City to Los Angeles to film this, my older brother gave me a hug, and he put a letter in my suitcase. And when I got to Los Angeles, I opened up my suitcase, and I read the letter, and it was just these words. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And over the last 10 years, I feel like I've gained the world. And I had to quit because now it's time to work on my soul. May we all.